Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Hey listeners, in this episode, we'll hear about some traits of successful startups and of a CEO. Check it out with more from leadership tips from Dr. Jonathan Bictari. All right, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Jonathan Bactari, who is a CEO, vaccine expert, and a physician with specialties in internal, pulmonary, and critical care medicine. With that background, he has launched multiple innovative startups that leverage technology that expands and disrupts traditional markets, also focusing on growing a corporate culture that empowers the leadership and staff to innovate. Dr. Bektari, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Oh, wow. Thank you for having me. It's a big honor to be here. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining us. And now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, maybe you can fill in any gaps from that intro or share a bit about your personal life. Yeah. uh, Well, uh, you know, I started off as a traditional, you know, uh, straight arrow going to medical school and residency and fellowship and worked my way into administrative medicine and then subsequently we started these sort of um, business ventures in terms of looking at how we can impact uh, healthcare, you know, by looking at ways to reduce friction for patients and even staff and, and really make the deliver, delivery of healthcare much more accessible. So that's been our goal since at least 2009, if not before, but that's when we launched our mm. companies and We've been on a mission to, uh, you know, make it easier to access what you need in healthcare and, and stay healthy and preventative health as a main focus of that, including adult vaccinations, what have you, and, you know, uh, testing and um, vaccines and what have you. So we've been, we've been working on it. And, and mm-hmm. as part of that, we've become a technology company where we've written and developed our own technology to address that. Wow. Well, 2009, that was very early on uh, going ahead and leveraging technology. Um, So maybe you could share just a little bit more about some of the types of companies that you're involved with. I know the... um, the E7 Health is a preventive health and wellness company um, and has been called the Uber of preventive medicine. Everybody mm-hmm. knows what Uber is these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, um, you know, leveraging some uh, laboratory tests and other things. But maybe you could just speak to sure. some of those companies. Yeah, well, E7 Health, we started 2009 also as a basically as a way to address the void in what we thought was adult vaccinations, uh, sort of a COVID company before COVID hit. Hmm. Uh, you know, the CDC reports that about 50,000 vaccine preventable deaths in the United States annually. That's more than, you know, or equal to the number of people who died in Vietnam War. And so 
part of that is the accessibility to adult vaccinations. Of course, you know, your listeners and you who are in the pharmacy industry have done their part in making vaccines more accessible. But, you know, as less and less primary care doctors carry vaccines for adults, Mm -hmm. it becomes important to, you know, address this void. So we started that back in 2009. We actually called the Vaccine Center when we opened up. But we provided everything uh, around the vaccines, like physicals, laboratory testing. And we mainly uh, went into the books of business that vaccines were involved in, such as travel medicine, employee health, student health. And we provided all those services around those books of business, if you want to call them. Mm-hmm. At the exclusion of primary care, urgent care, we didn't do that. You know, somebody came in with a you know tummy ache, we refer them out to a primary care doctor. We just focus on this preventive health and wellness. And we really kind of realized that there wasn't any good technology to manage a practice like that. Mm-hmm. So we actually started developing our, our own technology. Initially, very just very minor developments, but then it became obvious that we had to do the whole thing. And then we did that. And um, and then we've had other kind of um, projects that have been offshoots of that. And like um, we were just talking offline a few weeks ago, we uh, launched enationaltesting.com where we provide, you know, laboratory testing uh, in all 50 states and all major and cities all really almost everywhere in the country where you can just go online and just like an Amazon, Amazon, a few clicks away and you can, you know, order a clinical blood test that you need and go in and get it. And the results will be back on our portal. So Mm -hmm. it's our effort to really try to figure out how we can reduce friction for patients who need access uh, to adult vaccinations, to laboratory testing. Mm -hmm. So, um, and we, that's been our mission. Yeah. Now, where I mean, you've mentioned technology a lot, or a key component of some of these companies. And have you? Um, where? What about your footprint of actually doing the administering of the vaccines and things? Um, what does that look like? I know with the the labs that you've contracted with, that you know you, mm-hmm. people can kind of go in wherever. Is there any specific right. lab with the vaccines that you've? Right. So. Good question. So what we did is we basically, you know, the prototype are are in our brick and mortar locations in Nevada. So our goal was to, you know, write the technology so we could open more locations first regionally and then maybe nationwide. So that's really our next endeavor. Mm -hmm. Uh, We just launched launched each national testing. But uh, now that we're getting closer and closer to you know, having our, our technology be ready for prime time and be scalable that so we can expand to other states and other regions. So that's sort of um, next on our roadmap to expand the brick and mortar to catch up with the virtual network we have. Mm-hmm. Well, and maybe there's opportunities for, for pharmacists and pharmacies to kind of be plugged in with that. Um, they certainly stepped up in helping to roll out those clinics um, for the COVID vaccines um, with the pandemic. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, they're going to to their local pharmacy for those um, mm-hmm. annual flu shots and things. Um, so, yes, our, our pharmacist listeners are definitely um, pretty mm-hmm. aware of, of that. 
Um, so Jonathan, you have been doing these, you know, startups for several years now. Um, what are some of the different ingredients that you would say really help to make uh, a startup successful? Yeah, I think the key is obviously to have a great idea. If you don't have a great idea or a unique idea um, that is not going to be innovative or change anything in the market, it's going to be much more of a challenge. But assuming you have the great idea, the next thing is to really, you know, get a team together that's going to execute your vision and be enrolled in the vision and go out there and, you know, give it the passion and excitement that it deserves. And I think those two things, having a great idea as, as well as a team that can execute, are the two things you need to in, significantly increase your chance for success. Yes. Um, I love, I, that makes me think of the book, Good to Great, and how they talk about getting the right people on the bus and then getting everybody in the right seat. So um, definitely. Right, but even 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 that, even getting right the right people on the bus, I don't think I had that skill set mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. or or telling them where to sit. So this is another thing that we talk about. Just to become a leader or a CEO, you need to get a certain skill set, set of skills that allow you to pick the right people and and nurture them, mentor them, and what have you. That that's not people think that's those are soft skills. Like people like me, I'm a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Those aren't soft skills because you really have to know how to engage with people at different levels. You know, for example, I talk a lot about you can talk to two of your staff, you know, say the same thing and it'll be translated differently. So you have to calibrate the message based on who you're talking to, what's the best way to say it and uh, encourage them versus discouraging them. So these are skills I thought I had when I started, but, you know, you quickly, you know, figure out you need them. And, you know, I sought out mentors and other people who could teach me these skill sets, but they are skills that nonetheless to pick the right people and put them in the right seats on the bus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as a physician, you know, there, you all are, are, um, often the the quarterback on the healthcare team, if you will. Um, but a lot of those leadership skills may not be fully taught in in medical school, pharmacy school, et cetera. So, um, are there any books or things other than you mentioned, you know, getting mentors and and those sort of things? But any books or anything else that kind of helped. Uh, to teach you some of those, you know, leadership and, and helping to grow the culture? Yeah, of course, like everybody else, when we're starting out to be in that kind of position, you start reading almost every book uh, and leadership uh, that you can find. And they all have like great, great points. And I think, you know, everyone should browse through them. The one that kind of stuck home with me the most is a book called Tribal Leadership and they really, I mean, the essence of the book, although it's more complicated, is you, you know, the whole idea is a lot of people think they're great at their job and they're great at what they do. And, you know, they, they do so many things and they have so much talent. But, you know, the real mark of a great person is if they're making other people great. And I that is that has stuck with me. And I try to mentor and pass that on you know basically don't tell me how great you are tell me how great you're making other people uh 
and, and I you know say it in those fashion, but that's the message. You know, if you have a great staff or a great leader in your organization, you really wanted to ask them to say, okay, that's really great that you're essentially doing five people's work in 40 hours and, you know, you're taking all this on your shoulder, but, you know, how many, how many more clones of yourself are you making? Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you're great, imagine if we had five more of you, mm-hmm. right? So that, I mean, th- that's a rough summary of the book. You know, getting your staff to focus on making other people yeah, great. Love that. Now, say you've you know got the right team together. What are maybe some roadblocks to accelerating the growth of your company, and some things that you know entrepreneurs can do to help overcome those? Well, once you have the right idea, and then you have the right team. You know, then you really the, your next job is to really execute and and find out where you can really make a difference. Uh, another great book, uh, as long as we're talking about books, which deals with this, is sort of uh, you know Red Ocean, Blue Ocean, you know Blue Ocean Strategies, which is you really have to figure out a way to take your company in an area where you don't have natural competition or your service or your product makes your competition irrelevant. And I think that is what you need to be striving for. I think a lot of people, and they talk about this in this book too, spend you know, all the projects in their company. How, you know, how do we make a better product? How do we get it out there? How do we advertise? And not enough time is spent on, often is not spent on, you know, how do we come up with something nobody else has mm-hmm. or it makes other people irrelevant. And I think, you know, how, where you choose to focus your your product development or your energies uh, or even your marketing has to do with, you know, should we always be strategizing, you know, how we can come up with a unique offering that really, you know, we don't want to be the hundredth insurance company in Memphis, you know, or we don't want to be, the hundredth accounting firm in Austin, you know, I mean, yes, of course you could, but if you really, really want to grow, you just don't be the 10th company, you know, let, let's be the 20th, uh, you know, SEO firm in, um, you know, Los Angeles. I mean, yes, it's possible. Yes. But to really kind of get traction and move to the next level, you have to put yourself in a blue ocean, where your competitors are are essentially irrelevant. Yeah, I haven't heard heard of that book, but I like a lot of those those principles. And and a lot of um, entrepreneurs or advisors will give you the guidance of customer discovery. You know, go out and talk to your customers. What is their their pain no, point? No, no, no. Well, that, that's that's true. But you know, can I just tell you? I, I think I hear what you're saying, but this idea that we're gonna we're going to innovate or be different by having great customer service. Oh, not customer service, just knowing what, what is, what your customers need and then crafting your value proposition. Uh, No. Yeah. In the sense that it's a unique, I agree. But I think, you know, just even the whole thing about listen to your customers, whatever I get all that, but that I think a lot of times that's still wrapped up in this realm of we're just going to be, we're going to do it better than anyone else. Yeah, yeah. And doing selling the same product better by 
you know, getting closer to your customers or better understanding them. I get that. Uh, I would just challenge a person and say, fine, that's all good. And you should definitely, customer service, of course, is so important. And, and getting to know your customer, their pain points, resolving their pain, all of that is very important. But are you the hundredth person do, trying to get rid of that pain? If that makes sense, you know, and if you are, and maybe you could do it better, but you know, the best thing is to be the only person that has a solution for that pain. Right. Yes. That makes what sense. makes it, makes it unique or yes, exactly. Very good points. So another kind of topic, uh, you know, getting your team and, and, you know, what are your differentiators? Um, you know, that is often maybe not covered in, in your traditional medical school, pharmacy school, et cetera, is, uh, you know, navigating relationships with different partners, um, <laughs> negotiating. Those are key things if you're going to be running a business. Um, what are some of the, you know, things that you found along the way that have helped guide you? Yeah. Are you talking about specifically in negotiating with vendors and other people? Or am I hearing that correctly or just more broadly? Uh, yes. Yes. Because, you know, a lot of times you'll have you'll mm-hmm. re- need to rely on different vendors and partners right. uh, and able, in order to grow the business. Yeah. You know what? The, I'm sure we've all heard the adage when it comes to negotiation, you know, you, in negotiations, you know, you don't get what you deserve you get what you negotiate. Mm-hmm. And as long as you remember that, I think a lot of people think, oh, well, this, this, we deserve this, where that, that would be fair, which is often maybe the case, but really you get what you negotiate. And um, I think the core of negotiating, speaking now, not in, in your personal life, but in your business life, uh, the core of that in, in entering any negotiation is who is holding more of the cards walking in the door. In other words, who needs who more? And sometimes it's mutual, whatever, but often the the scales are tipped towards one direction. Mm-hmm. And when you walk into negotiations, you have if you don't have a clear understanding first of who's holding more of the cards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're often just going to go there thinking, well, we'll just negotiate something that's fair. Not necessarily. If someone does, you know, has a hundred clients like you and you're going to be the hundred and first, I'm not sure you're going to get a fair deal. You're going to get the deal that the hundred and first client of theirs is going to get, which is not a good one necessarily. So if you don't know you're the hundred and first client that they have in that thing and that your business is maybe 0.001% of their total revenue, you know, so... You may say, well, this doesn't, but, but if you go in there knowing that the other side is holding the cards or sometimes you got to go in knowing you're holding more of the cards. So that's going to, you're not going to necessarily take advantage of it, but it will give you a, a, a different approach. Now that's number one. So when you walk into negotiations, who's holding more of the cards and based on that, then you have to come up with a strategy. If you're holding more of the cards, obviously it's going to be a little easier. Uh, you're probably going to get more of what you want. But even in those cases, I always say make sure it's win-win because you want to do more than one deal with this person and you want this person to maybe bring five other people that you don't even know about into the deal. 
So obviously when you're holding all the cards to be fair and equitable and try to do a win-win, when you're not holding all the cards, I think it's really important before you go into the thing to come up with leverage that you don't even know you have. And that's kind of a very, um, that comes really with a lot of experience, but sometimes you create your own leverage. Things like, you know, I'm just using this from previous things that have happened to us recently by saying, well, you know, um, depending on how this goes, we may have, you know, we have a sister company that might be interested in this or, you know, making sure you leverage as much as you can or, you know, throwing in other things that, you know, well, obviously, you know, we're we're a member of um, this industry council and obviously I think the better things go with us, you know, I think the more likely, you know, you know, that other people in our council may hear about you or what have you. I'm making things up, but those are things that you normally wouldn't know to bring up. Uh, but when you are not holding all the cards, you have to innovate and develop and get cards to bring to the table because you're not going to get necessarily what you uh, deserve. Uh, often, uh, you're going to get what you negotiate. So um, for when I was first starting, starting out, it was much more simple. Like I thought, well, okay, this would be a fair deal. They should give this to us. And then you find out, no, they, they're not going to give that. So now as we've gotten bigger and, you know, have more business and what have you, a lot of that has changed, but still you have to know going into any negotiation uh, where you stand. And sometimes, you know, people are just fair and nice and you get a good deal no matter what. But you need to be prepared to take out any additional cards you haven't thought of to kind of make the deal more even-footed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely a lot of preparation. And another great uh, example, um, or just, you know, thinking about the habit four of seven habits of highly effective people, think win-win. Um, so really great to highlight that. Uh, now, you know, some, some entrepreneurs or some people who might be thinking, gosh, I've been, you know, um, working for a health system or working for a large chain or working for whomever, I want to go out and start my own business. How, what's, you know, a tip you would give them for, you know, pulling themselves up by their bootstraps and creating their own organization on their own. Yeah, that's a very difficult proposition because I got to tell you something. Uh, when you're getting a steady paycheck, mm -hmm. uh, even if you're not happy or whatever, it's mm -hmm. very difficult to be innovative and creative when you're getting a steady paycheck, which is paying the bills and what have you. So I found that to be in talking to my colleagues and friends, the biggest challenge is to, you know, you're not going to take many chances or think outside the box often when you're getting a steady paycheck. So the challenge becomes, how do you, you know, if you really want to break out and you want to do something on your own, it becomes challenging to do it while you have a steady job. Now, that doesn't mean you should give up your job, but you still need to think differently. I always see, um, I'm sure we've all seen this interview with some tech billionaire, you know, who I was sitting on a couch being interviewed and they said, well, how did you come up with this idea? And often, you you know, you can, the typical story is, yeah, I was laid off by IBM when I was 40 years old. And, you know, I sat down on the couch with my wife, said, what, what am I going to do? Who's going to hire a 40-year-old 
guy, you know, in management, blah, blah, blah. And my wife said, you know, honey, you know that thing we've been thinking about, you know, that you always kind of joke about? Well, what about that? And next thing you know, that becomes a billion dollar thing. Again, I'm, I'm just, it's just a generic analogy. But the question is, you know, that guy only took the chance on that billion, you know, on that thing in the garage because he was laid off. Mm-hmm. But that he could have done that a month ago when he was getting a steady paycheck. What prompted him to all of a sudden say, oh, that thing I've been thinking about. So I think that's the challenge. The first challenge is, do you have a great idea, but you're really not going to pull the trigger on it until you're, you know, like, God forbid, laid off or something. So I think the first thing is to change your mindset to even when you do have a great job and steady income, to start thinking almost as though you're being laid off in six months. And, that, and start thinking in that direction. I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I really advise a lot of people who want to make the change to have the desperation and the drive even while they have a great job. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, well, definitely shifting that mindset and instead of uh, finishing your you know eight-hour workday and going and sitting in front of the couch and watching TV... You got to be, mm-hmm. <laughs> got to right. be motivated and have that fire under you. Well, fascinating. Right. Lots of uh, really interesting um, business tips and things. Uh, and and one question that I love to ask all of our guests is uh, for our final question is what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for others out there who are just getting started in their career? Yeah, I would tell my younger self is basically uh, to uh, don't be afraid to go out of your comfort zone and try things, go on committees, uh, you know, join organizations, because often you find one door opens another door. And I think when I first, first, you know, kind of starting out, I just said, okay, I'm a doctor. That's what I know. That's what I got to do. And I'm sure your listeners are pharmacists and other healthcare professionals saying, hey, I'm a pharmacist. That's what I know. That's what I've been trained. And they get intimidated by anything else that's not something to have skill sets in. So I would say if I, what I would tell my younger self is just to really don't be afraid to take on roles that you're not necessarily trained in, but you could learn and you know ex- expand your horizons when the opportunities present itself. Yeah, love that. Be willing to take risks and... And we certainly have some transferable skill sets. Uh, now, Dr. Biktari, where can our listeners find more about you and maybe your own podcast information? Thank you. Yeah, um, my website is BakhtariMD.com, B-A-K-T-A-R-I-M-D.com. So that's a great place. Uh, and also my podcast is BakhtariMD. You can find it on YouTube as well as Spotify and, and the rest of the podcast apps. Uh, we're going to be launching season two in the next few weeks, I think June 1st, uh, on uh, the Crash CEO School. Uh, and of course, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn um, and uh, all the other social media handles. So we're, we're on all of them right now. So thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you as a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. The pleasure was all mine. Thank you for having me, Hillary. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. 
share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening. 